The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, the largest online career resource built inclusively for women. I also have the privilege of hosting our new podcast, The Females. We're here to help with real talk career advice from CEOs, authors, creatives, and other experts to give you real strategies for building a successful career all on your own terms. Each episode of The Females is sure to not only inspire, but also to motivate you to take action and move your career forward. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for new episodes and follow along on careercontessa.com. Hi guys, it's Gabby and welcome to What's Gabby Cooking in Quarantine. If you're new here, I'm Gabby. I'm the founder of What's Gabby Cooking, a best-selling author and now podcast host. What's Gabby Cooking in Quarantine is your one-stop shop for all your food and cooking-related questions. We'll be talking tips and tricks, how to store food, how to put together meals based on what's in your pantry, and so much more. I'm also highlighting super cool companies at the end of every episode so we can support small businesses in the food world. So let's get right into it. This is What's Gabby Cooking in Quarantine. Okay, guys, we're back for another episode of What's Gabby Cooking in Quarantine, and I'm so pumped to have my friend Grant on as a guest today. He is basically a magician in the kitchen and the most knowledgeable person I know when it comes to the food world. He's done it all, including being the head of R&D for Modernist Cuisine, founding Chef Steps, creating the best sous vide machine on the market, and a ton of other incredible things. Plus, he makes food so much fun and really cool to watch on his Instagram Hi, Grant. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm so glad to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm great. I was telling everyone at the intro that you're the only person who ever invited me over for dinner when we did our stint in Seattle. (laughs) And it was like the most incredible meal I've ever had at someone's home. I'm sorry you didn't get more invites. Well, I mean, we were only there for a hot second, but you're incredible. And I love watching all of your Instagram cooking and baking expeditions and those morels that you made recently. Yes. I was upset I wasn't your neighbor. <laughs> it's, it's definitely starting to pick up on summer mushroom season. Yeah. So I've been hitting the mountains the last couple of weeks. I've been loving it. I mean, one day when people aren't quarantining, I'm going to come like with the foraging with you, like I'm ready. I'm, I just want to know all the things. Yeah, I love it. I think it's one of the best things. I grew up, you know, fishing, hiking, camping, hunting a little bit, and I've been foraging for a long time. So it's good. It's good medicine for me to be outside and, you know, kind of by yourself, maybe with one other person wandering around through the woods. I love it. Yeah. Do you need, and you don't need any special equipment to find morels. Like you don't need a dog or a pig or anything <laughs> like that. You just use your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> they say they're the most difficult mushroom to find visually they're so camouflaged and they only grow in these very specific regions between certain altitudes and then after forest fires and you wander around in these burns and they're still so hard to see if you're new to it you can go with somebody who's been going a long time and they'll say there's one there's one there's one you're like where i don't see them you know and <laughs> they can be right in front of you it's really tricky so morels are one of the fun ones not like golden chanterelles if you go to golden chanterelles they grow in these very green areas and you just see these golden specks everywhere you know the morels are yeah. very camouflaged they're tricky that's why they're so expensive yeah, when you so. buy them at the farmer's market yeah, i'm amazed <laughs> anybody makes money picking and selling them because i know some good spots and i still find it a struggle to get more than a few pounds at a time you know it's crazy it's got to be a labor of love like they got to make the yeah. money off of chanterelles or something else because yeah. that's not easy 
Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, you've cooked me twice. One of the times we came over, you made your chocolate chip cookies and like oh, yeah. blew my mind. I was like, these are the best cookies I've ever had outside of my own. And ever since we started What's Bobby Cooking in Quarantine, we've been taking questions on swaps and substitutions mm. and all these different things people are experimenting or experiencing in quarantine. And there are so many questions about flour. Mm-hmm. And I thought since you are the only other person who makes a chocolate chip cookie that blows my mind, you would be the right person to talk to. <laughs> well, I hope I can help. Um, okay. So I know in your chocolate chip cookie recipe, you use pastry flour, correct? Mm-hmm. So talk to us about the difference between all-purpose, pastry flour, bread flour. Like we know surface, it's all about protein ratios, but what do you, what do you like about each of them or what don't you like about them and what do you like to use them for? Yeah, so flours are really interesting, wheat flours in particular, just because you might think it's just wheat flour, but there's a full array of what all these flours are and can do and what the properties are. To your point, you know, you have everything at the highest protein gluten levels of like a tough bread flour, all the way down to the lowest protein which is probably a cake flour. And those are you know, very finely ground, very low protein. Uh, the lower the protein, the worse it is with moisture and holding up moisture, the better it is at absorbing fat. The higher the protein, the more moisture it can hold and absorb, the more you can work it, you know, and it just becomes tougher and tougher. It doesn't like a ton of fat. That's why it's really hard to emulsify, like say a, a panettone or a brioche that you need that chewy stretch, but you also want the fat and it's easy, to, easy emulsification to break. But yeah, there's a ton of flours ranging all the way from, yeah, cake flour, all the way up to uh, bread flour. In between you have, let's see, maybe I'm trying to think of what I, what I see as far as labels at the, fl- at the store. Um, because, you know, right now, even still at Chef's Steps, we'll buy these commercial bags and we'll get like Mondaka or Caputo or, you know, this, bread. I just got this other flour that I'm sure a lot of your listeners have used before. It's just called more bread. <laughs> I've never heard of that. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's because it has all these enzymes in it that, you know, help help it rise and help it to, you know, kind of autolyze on all the proteins. So but you just basically just add water and it turns into more bread. <laughs> so I'm just playing with that recently and it's just like, okay. because uh, right now it's funny, um sorry off a tangent, but like the grocery stores are empty. But if you go to these, you know, the big warehouses, they're full to the ceiling because yeah. restaurants stopped buying. Right. You know, so a lot of these big warehouses are actually selling will call right now in all these different cities, you know, everywhere. Um, because their customers, the restaurant, they stop. The only downside is their smallest units, like 25 pound bag or 50 pound bag, but you can get amazing flour and amazing ingredients. You, know? you better be ready to make a lot of cookies or bread or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I would gain 200 pounds, but honestly, it's quarantine. I'm here for it. So what do you... Yeah, whatever. Yeah, it doesn't matter. When you're baking something simple, like let's just talk cookies or brownies. Okay. Are you always using pastry flour? Do you never use an all-purpose? The only reason I don't like all-purpose is because it's totally unpredictable. Mm -hmm. So every brand will have an all-purpose. And what an all-purpose is for most brands is they have very specific gluten protein specs and mill specs for their bread flour, their pastry flour, their cake flour, their whole wheat, this, that. And then 
what's left over or doesn't meet spec, often they just blend it into an all-purpose. And so it has a huge range. It can range anywhere from 10% to 14% protein. And is there any way of testing that? There are some ways to test it. Yeah, you can test um, some starch and protein levels with iodine tests. You can read about how to do that, you know, where you make a little aqueous solution and then you drop iodine in. And depending on the hue of purple, Will indicate how much protein or starch is available. So there's some interesting tests you can do, um, but that gets pretty like nitty gritty, right? Like I'd, if, out of all these bags, I'd rather just buy a bag of flour and it is what it is. Right. That's usually why I stay away from AP. You know, they market as all purpose. It's a great marketing tool, but you don't know what it is. So you can literally over a year buy the same bag, same brand, same bag of AP four or five times. And one day it might make your chocolate chip cookies kind of like cakey and fluffy and the next day it might make them really ooey gooey and they have too, maybe too much spread and the next time they're just like really chewy and perfect and you're getting frustrated and feeling like you did everything the same but the flour was different that's yeah. why i like to use pastry bread flour cake flour something that has a very specific consistent and do you ever mix flours for your recipes? Like, will you use some cake flour and some bread flour so you have both properties? Yeah. So sometimes we all blend, say, a bread flour, especially, say, in a chocolate chip cookie or even a brownie. Um, a little bit of bread flour will give you a little bit more chew and like a little more stretch and bite. Um, and the cake flour will hold on to moisture and fat better. So you'll have that like kind of tender cookie or tender brownie a day or two later when it's on the shelf. It won't be cakey and dry after it's been sitting on the counter for a couple of days. Right. Um, so yeah, using them for different blends is often like the pathway to something that's pretty consistent. You don't have to get that crazy with it, but sometimes when you're chasing down the perfect cookie or the perfect brownie, it ends up, that's the way to go. And when you're, when you are experimenting with different kinds of flowers, it's not always a one-to-one -one substitution. So if your recipe calls for one cup of all purpose, that doesn't mean you can just use one cup of bread flour or one cup of pastry flour, and it's going to yield in the same texture. Right, right. Like, so if you have a recipe that calls for a cup of bread flour and say you're making some pastry with it or something, and then you swap it out for cake flour, which is extreme you wouldn't have any of that stretch or that pull or that kneading, chewy springiness. Like that would be almost non-existent. And you'd be like, oh, right. I just swapped out the flour. And you could even add more cake flour, two cups. It won't give you that chew and stretch, right? It'll just dry out and be tender and soak up all the oil. So what about like alternative flours, like coconut flour, almond flour? Do you think I mean, those obviously can't be substituted as a one-for-one -one ratio as well. But do you think people should be baking? Like when people are developing recipes, they're calling for specific flours for a reason. So if you just happen to have coconut flour on hand, you mm -hmm. can't just use it willy-nilly in something that calls for something else. Yes? Yeah, if you have a specific wheat flour for a coconut flour, something like that. I mean, a coconut flour has none of the properties that a wheat flour has except for as a bulking agent. So you're not going to get any stretch. You're not going to get any chew. It's basically pure cellulose and fiber, which isn't a bad thing. It's totally fine and healthy and great, but you're not going to be able to make a nice pizza crust, you know, a stretch and pull and chew. You're not going to be able to make, you might be able to make, say like a nice brownie. So it depends what type of outcome you're looking for. Like the whole idea of making certain things gluten-free. You know, a lot of people get caught off guard on how and when they can use gluten or when they need it. You really only need gluten when you want something to be chewy or stretchy, right? Like, so a really good baguette or a croissant, 
maybe sometimes a stretchy, chewy chocolate chip cookie, but it's really easy to make a chocolate chip cookie that doesn't have gluten or a brownie or a waffle that's gluten-free because you don't need that crazy stretch and chew and pull. Whereas bread is a little bit harder to bake with gluten-free flour. Okay, so speaking of bread, when you make homemade bread, which everyone in the world has decided to become a bread maker in quarantine, what's your go-to recipe? Do you have a go-to recipe on Chef Steps and what kind of flours would you use for that? I'm so glad you brought that up. I don't know if you've um, poked around recently, but yeah, we've been chasing down a handful of uh, bread recipes. My favorite go-to that we just published about a month ago is the the French Mm -hmm. country bread. So it's like a French country loaf, very classic, very simple, but a beautiful kind of loaf that you make in a Dutch oven that comes with like a lacy golden crust. It's got a good sponge on the inside, a good crumb structure. And then we kind of point you on two pathways of one you could make in less than a day and one, again, the same dough, same formula that will be ready the next day. And the one that's ready the next day just has a little bit more of that stretch and chew and those big, beautiful bubbles in it. Well, the other thing I was going to say is I got that recipe out there because I was like, oh my God, everybody's making bread. And then the next thing instantly was like, ah, nobody can find <laughs> bread flour or anything. So the next thing we did, and this is kind of one of the things I love uh, doing at Chef Steps is, you know, we don't have a million recipes at Chef Steps, but what we do have a lot of are all these great resources to educate yourself. So we actually published a little tool that's called a flour converter. So noticing this at the store, they were out of bread flour, they're out of pastry flour, maybe they'd have AP or they'd have cake flour. And then if you went to that section, you know, where there's like Bob's Red Mill type stuff, like grains and polenta and whatever, all that stuff would be stocked. One of the things they always sell is vital wheat gluten. So I made this calculator and on Chef's title is called How to Make Any Flour into Bread Flour. And there's a little calculator and a tool you can use of looking down the left side. It's like, I have this flour or this much protein, but I want Ooh. this much. Pop out 18 grams of my uh, cake flour with vital wheat gluten. I essentially now have a Oh my flour. gosh, that's awesome. It's really handy. And it just basically the goal there is to help people come up with the flour they want, depending on what the... You know, their product is. And most people, to your point, have been chasing down bread. Yeah. For everyone listening, I'll link that post along with Grant's cookie recipe in the show notes so you can all go use it. Okay. As far as pizza dough, the pizza dough recipe on my site calls for double zero flour, which is very easy for me to find because I live Mm -hmm. semi close to numerous Italian delis. Mm -hmm. If double zero flour, which is something we haven't talked about yet, isn't available, which is just like a super fine flour, do you think it would be acceptable to just use a pastry flour or a cake or what what would be your go-to for pizza dough? Um, well, one thing that's kind of interesting to your point, like double O caputo pizza flour is what that really means to your point is the fineness of the grind and the flour. Um, but unlike a lot of bread flours and American flours, it's actually not super high in protein. Like a lot of the, I think caputo flours maybe only 11% protein when a lot of bread flours you might see are 14% even. So if you don't have caputo and you want something similar, I would say probably a pastry flour is closest. You know, pastry flour can be maybe like 12%. And if you tried a batch of it and you're like, ooh, this is just too tough or dry, you can let it down with a little water or you can actually let it down with a little white rice flour too to reduce the protein as well. That's cool. Yeah, so you can kind of like tone down that 
tough aggressive too if you were wanting something that had like those big bubbles and you know like more of artisanal pizza crust you can kind of get pretty close with a pastry flour that maybe you cut in 10 percent 15 percent like a white rice flour Mm-hmm. It'll get pretty this close. isn't a question, but just a comment. This morning, Thomas Thomas is babysitting a sourdough starter. He's not babysitting it. He has decided to raise a sourdough starter. And the man doesn't know how to boil pasta. So like, this is a big step. We are having sourdough pizza dough tonight for dinner, and it is questionable at best. So I, I'm going to text it to you later to see what it looks like. Uh, <laughs> you've already seen yeah, it, though. it didn't rise that much. It's questionable. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think it'll be good. Yeah. We're going to grill it. and yeah, yeah, at least it'll be grilled flatbread. If it, if you can't call it pizza, you can call it grilled <laughs> flatbread and it'll be a success. Um, okay, so I just want to end with a couple rapid fire flour-ish questions. Mm-hmm. How do you store your flour? A lot of people were concerned about pantry, freezer. Mm. Yeah, you know, if you have wheat flour, a lot of wheat flour is pretty durable. Like as long as it's not getting hit by the sun and light, you know, and getting these huge temperature swings, you can usually store it for a a long time. One thing over the years, a lot of people struggle with, which I haven't seen in the last, I don't know why, but I haven't seen this be a problem the last five, six, seven years is, you know, like little flower mites. Um, When I was growing up, I feel like that happened to our flower all the time. And I don't know if they've changed Mm. the flower or the mites have gone away. I doubt that that's true, but I haven't seen that to be a problem. (laughs) So just dry, cool, you know, out of sunlight. I've got glass jars where I store a bunch of stuff in the kitchen, but I go through them pretty quickly. Like I cycle through them and then I have bags and I have um, like even big crocs, like farm crocs that are like 20 gallon where I have like multiple bags just piled in there and they're no light, no nothing, you know, kind of thing. And it keeps them stable. Um, I've got like those with rice and that sort of stuff. The one thing I would add about some flowers like coconut flour or an almond flour, some of these are totally different and they actually have a lot of fat and they'll go rancid really quick and they'll get bitter really quick. So those I would say you'd on average want to store in the freezer if you're not going through them very quickly. Yeah. You, so you were stuck when quarantine hit. You were like, I've got flour, rice, all the things. Cooking all the time. And it's normal for me to have like a 30 pound bag of sushi rice or a 50 pound bag of caputo at home. I'm just like, whatever. That was normal for me. Yeah. So when I went to the store and everyone was freaking out Mm -hmm. and buying all the flour, I was just like, (laughs) I don't know what's going on here. This is kind of crazy, but I get it. You know, you're like, you could sell some on the black market (laughs) Then the flour, then the yeast. And then I don't know what the next thing was. Oh, it was like the hair and makeup and the self care type stuff. Right. Um, But it was just so crazy to see that priority list whittle down, you know, but I feel yeah. it's pretty set up, you know, I got a lot of flour and ingredients and goodies for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next question. Does flour expire? Not, but not the coconut almond flour, just like regular, regular wheat flour. Whole grain stores phenomenally well, like millions of years of evolution have allowed it to store really, really, really well. That's why grain has evolved. It's a energy storage system for a plant. But as soon as you grind it and chop it up, you expose all the oils, all the starches to oxygen, they oxidize, they go rancid, they go bad. It takes a long time, but, you know, and again, going back to sunlight, temperature, it can be as fast as a month. If it's sitting in the sun and it's going up and down in temperature, you know, you can have a bag of wheat flour that goes bad really quick. Um, But if you, again, start cool, stable, dark temperatures, you can, you know, easily Mm -hmm. have flour last a year. Um, and the, the amazing thing is some folks do get real hardcore and I've gone through this phase 
I don't have, I currently don't have a flour mill, but I did go through a phase where I had lots of bags of grain from Washington farms. And I would just mill my own flour in these little Dutch mills whenever I wanted to make bread. And I loved it. Unfortunately, sad story, uh, our house was burglarized a few years ago, a different house. And they stole all these like beautiful Dutch flour mills. There's like little tiny lab ones. They were so beautiful and I haven't replaced them. So yeah, I was a little heartbroken. I haven't gone back to granny my own flowers since then. What? <laughs> but I'll, I'll revisit it. I know. Well, they've kind of took everything. <laughs> what a weird thing to steal. The point of that story is like the grain will store so well forever, a whole grain. But as soon as you decide to chop it up, cut it up, it does have a shorter half-life for sure. Do you, for simple recipes, cookies, brownies, stuff like that, do you believe in sifting your flour or do you reserve that for when you're doing like more you know, fancy pastry stuff? Yeah, it depends. I never really sift for cookies. Um, one thing I feel like I've realized in my last obsession deep dive of cookies is the whole idea of creaming and then barely mixing in the flour. Uh, my pastry chef and I did a big deep dive on that recently. And we're like, mm, actually like, a, I tend to, and I've now realized this in the last six months, I like a cookie that's not creamed that much. I'm talking about chocolate chip cookies. So it's not overly whipped and creamed in the beginning, which gives it a big puff and a souffle. I'm not really into that. Um, and I've also found that, mm -hmm. you know, a cookie's so rich with butter, which is a shortener and it shortens gluten strands, um, that we actually went the other way of like, can you just dump everything in the mixer and mix it, right? And it actually works pretty damn well. And we were hard pressed to find a big difference between like perfectly creaming, add one egg at a time, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, there's so much fat in a good chocolate chip cookie that you can't really over mix it. Wow. It's really hard to. So, uh, yeah, I go to, um, like, I'm just not very precious about the cookie thing. But to your point, if I'm doing something a little more delicate, especially cake flour, because cake flour likes to clump a lot. Yeah, I sift cake flour and I'll sift that with all the dry stuff for sure. Pastry flour too often. So all those, like, yes. you know when people used to like gift those jars of all the cookies ingredients for like the holiday? Like just add butter and eggs and everyone else like yeah. always papooted in the culinary world because they're like, you don't cream it together. They were all lying to us. <laughs> um, okay, so are you, if you're doing a recipe that is not weighed, like it's just measuring cup, are you a scoop and leveler or a spoon and leveler? Generally, I either don't measure anything at all, or I use a digital scale. I'm just extremist. But yes, the only time I'll really measure is when there's right. like some awesome recipe I'm chasing down. It's presented in volumetric. And then I'm going to convert that to grams. So I have a better grasp on it later or something. Um, so usually when I do that, I'm, I'm a scooper and a scraper. And it's pretty satisfying too. I like the big scoop. Maybe I'll give it a jiggle. It's kind of like making an espresso too. and you have the espresso in the portafilter. And then you level it off and then tamp it. I love it. Yeah. Me too. And for recipes that are just cups, not weight, not weighted, when you spoon and level, it's so much less flour. It can really mess with the results. Doing the same thing. Because if you're making a cookie That's and then you weigh it, and then the next time you scoop the flour and the next time you spoon it, they're all different weights. So you're kind of chasing a moving target. But as long as you're doing the same thing each time, you can make some decisions around that, you know? Right. Um, okay, last question, but I feel like this has been sweeping mm. the Instagram world. People are baking their flour before oh they God. cook with it or bake with it so they feel comfortable eating the cookie dough. Do you think that <laughs> any, any, you know, whatever behind it or are we, we're all okay eating a little bit of cookie dough? <laughs> yeah. And you know, the funny, 
the flour thing's funny. Like <laughs> I will say, if you want to bake your baking, you bake your flour until it's like golden and toasty. That's delicious, and that adds a lot of flavor. And if you're scared of eggs, you right. don't need eggs and cookie dough for it to be delicious. So skip the eggs. But yeah, the baking of the of the flour to make it safe. I don't know. It's like then why not bake your chocolate chips or why not bake your salt or why not bake your baking powder? It's like. You know, and I don't know. It's it's pretty illogical to me. Seems like an unnecessary step, in my opinion, as well. Like, I want the cookie dough in my mouth the fastest as possible. Like, there's no need for an extra step. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, tell everybody where they can find you on Instagram because you are one of my favorite people to follow. So yeah, uh, Grant Lee Crilly is my personal uh, on Instagram, and then Chef Steps on Instagram. That's where we got all sorts of like really great tips and tricks, the hows and whys and the science of cooking. And if you guys are into sous vide cooking, Grant developed the Jewel, which is truly the best sous vide machine, mm-hmm. period. So you have tons of recipes for that on Chef yes, Steps as well, Yes, lots of correct? recipes for sous vide. We're the foremost resource for sous vide, for sure. We even have deep dive classes on sous vide and a whole community that's just sous vide, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of people just on Facebook. Like there's a cook with jewel, uh, Facebook page. that has got like 40,000 people. All they do is like talk about recipes and all that sort of stuff just around sous vide. It's really fun. Yeah. It's kind of like definitely a, a very culty thing. People who cook sous vide definitely have opinions about it. Yeah. As soon as Thomas masters the sourdough, I'm going to stick him on the jewel next. <laughs> <laughs> I just, in five years, I want to yes, retire and he'll cook plan. everything. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much, Grant. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Gabby. I loved it. Nice to see you. Nice to chat with you. Nice to see you too. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. All right. That's it for today's What's Gabby Cooking in Quarantine episode. Be sure to tune in for new episodes on Mondays and Thursdays. If you have any questions you want answered, give us a call at 1-888-338-4429 and leave me a voicemail. Or if you know a super cool small company that you want to be highlighted, let me know in the voicemail as well. Make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen and follow along with What's Gabby Cooking on Instagram and Twitter. And for more recipes, check out my website, whatsgabbycooking.com. See you guys very soon. 